Hi, I'm Maria Thea Harris of LSOs on social media. Welcome back to So Over 50 podcast on So Organized Style. Grab a cuppa and relax with us. So Organized Style podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the elders past, present and emerging. Thanks for joining us on Sober 50 podcast as we continue with this series featuring the men in the Sober 50 community. Sober 50 intersects with all communities. Just as a man who sews and has made clothes and shoes since I've known him. What many of you may also know is he's the founder and mind behind freesewing.org. Thanks for being today's Sober 50 guest. Thank you, Mary. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure. It's really good to see you online after catching up face-to-face years ago. Yeah, it's true. I mean, those were simpler times when people could travel and meet each other in real life. It's good to see you. And it's arguably not only COVID and the corona crisis, I've also been less available online than I used to be. I left Instagram, I left Facebook. Everyone has to manage themselves based on the fact that we're going through a pandemic and you can't disregard that. That's in everyone's face. That's true. How's your knee feeling today? It's getting there. Maybe I should clarify that question okay. a little bit. I, I was in a bicycle accident. I just fell over really and I broke my kneecap, which was a bit of a scare for me because this is the first time ever I've broken a bone in my body and I was quite disappointed in said body and I was like what's wrong with your body you're getting old but it was just a, a really unfortunate fall where I landed on this sort of metal covering of, of the subway and mm. and so rather than sort of skid on on the sideway or on, on the pavement I sort of came to a very abrupt halt on my kneecap and it, it fractured but fortunately it's sort of was left in place. It didn't move too much. And so we are, as my doctors call it, treating this hands-off, so to speak, and just letting it heal. I have this sort of exoskeleton to keep my leg from moving too much. But apart from that, it should just heal over and seems to be doing so well. So it's still swollen, it's it's sore, but it's everything will work out in the end, or so I choose to believe. It's just You just mentioned that you've taken yourself offline. Mm, yeah. It's not really that I think of myself offline because I, I am very much somebody who lives online for whom the internet has, has really changed my world because I, I grew up in a very small town and my world was very small back then. But I did leave some of the platforms where I felt that I was not, that what I was getting out of it and, and what it was sort of doing to me, there was an unbalance there. So I already left Facebook quite a number of years ago and then I don't know, must maybe like two years ago or something, I left Instagram and I just felt that it was quite toxic for me in the sense that I, maybe other people are better suited to deal with that, but I felt that at some level I was always sort of comparing myself to other people on the platform, which I think is something that it really tends to do to you. And, you know, you'd be working on something and then putting something out there and then you look at other people who are far more quote-unquote popular successful whatever you want to call that yeah and it's difficult not to take that as like oh i'm a gigantic failure where i think that at some level you realize that well these people are probably more focused on being an instagram person rather than using instagram to sort of showcase the other things where, where i might be spending more of my time on so we're all different but 
it's not that easy for me on a day-to-day to to be happy. Like I I sort of struggle with that sometimes. And I felt that it was not helping me much to the contrary. And so I decided to walk away because I felt that for my own mental health, it was, it was better to do that. And so in that sense, I'm a bit more isolated from like in the sewing community, I think Instagram is quite a big player. And so if you walk away from it, you're sort of leaving behind a bunch of people. And I, I mean, that was sort of why I guess it took so long, but I do think it's better for me. And I think if you know where to look, I'm very easy to find just not on Instagram or, you know, Pinterest or any other things that are, that don't really work for me. If they don't work, it's great that you've made that decision to end being on those platforms. And that's a really good decision to make. Yeah. I don't think that you should only do things that you're good at because we were, we were talking uh, briefly before you pushed the record button about the guitar <laughs> behind me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not good at it, but I just sometimes pick it up and it's fun. But I wouldn't go to a talent show and stand on stage next to other people who are way better at it. And that's a bit how I feel with Instagram is that I'm not playing to my strengths by being this sort of online persona. I'm, I'm much more of an introvert who doesn't really seek the limelight. I prefer to do other things. And, and in a way, I think that makes it easier for me to be happy. And that's something that I'm really pleased to hear that you are happy. That's good. <laughs> no, honestly. Yeah. You have to it's, do these it's one things. Of the, yeah. It's one of the harder things in life to accomplish. So it's, it ebbs and flows a bit. But I do really genuinely believe that one of the fastest ways to be unhappy is to compare yourself to others. And I, I do think that platforms like Instagram sort of make you do that, even if you try not to. So I sort of try to run my own race now. Good. That's really good to hear. If we go to your sewing life, that's one of your strengths that we were talking about what started you sewing <laughs> I, I got into it sort of in in two separate levels or stages of development or or whatever you want to call it when i was young preteen, teenager i learned to sew or taught myself to sew because i was too embarrassed by what my mom would do because my mom had a sewing machine but didn't really like it and you know, when you're a teenager and I guess now, now when you're a teenager and, and you fall and there's a rip in your jeans, maybe people just buy a new one because fast fashion makes everything so cheap. Back when animals could talk when I was young, <laughs> these things would get mended. And so my mom would do that, but like she would have a pair of black jeans and use blue thread or some other abomination that I would be like, mom, this is so embarrassing. So I, I learned to sew or taught myself to sew to sort of meant basic things. And then when I got older and and went to live out on my own, I I did things like curtains and pillow slopes and other sort of quite straightforward things. But I never really took it to the next level and sewing garments was not, just was not on my radar. I think back then also, if you would walk into a, a fabric store it wasn't at all tailored to an individual like myself or, you know, men. I mean, nowadays it's still a bit of an issue, but, but back then it was, it was way worse. And then I think it's about 11 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago, I had mononucleosis, which, you know, the infamous kissing disease. And I was quite sick from that. I've been told it's one of those things where if you have it as a, as a child, it's less hard on you than if you have it as a grown-up. 
I had it in my 30s and I was quite ill and I was home from work for about five weeks. And those five weeks sort of, it was the Christmas break at work. So basically I was home for, for a good six weeks and oh my God, I was so bored because while I was exhausted and tired, towards the end of it, I was, I was really bored. And so I still had this sewing machine that I bought once, you know, for curtains and small repairs. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to make something. And so I went to the local haberdashery and I looked through their books of Burda patterns, if I remember correctly, picked out a trouser pattern, bought some fabric threads, and I was like, all right, I'm going to make trousers. And it was hopelessly naive because, you know, it turns out it's not that easy, but I was very happy with them, even though looking back now, they were, I mean, they were terrible. But back then I felt really proud and a, and a sense of accomplishment. And I, I've always enjoyed creating things, but I can't draw or paint or anything like that to save my life. So doing something more hands-on really felt good to me. And so it was sort of coming up to New Year's and I was like, you know what? I'm going to make it my New Year's resolution that I will make all of my own clothes and I will not buy any clothes. You know, never want to shy away from <laughs> crazy ideas like that. So that's how it started. And that New Year's resolution still holds. So I make all my clothes now and I, I don't buy, well, I mean, it's not entirely true. Like I buy socks and I would sometimes buy like knitwear because I don't knit like, you know, like a woolen sweater. I'm not an extremist. I just try to make all the clothes that I can reasonably make. I also started making shoes, so now I also don't buy shoes. That's how I got into it. I was so impressed when I saw you making shoes. Yeah, well, it's partially, in a way, it makes a lot of sense because I have such ridiculously large feet. I have like size 52 in Europe, which is like 16 or 17, something in the US. And I don't know, in, in Australia, they probably measure it in fractions of a kangaroo or something, but <laughs> they are very big or large. And so it's difficult for me to find shoes, to buy shoes, yeah. especially non, like, you know, you can find anything if, if you need something for on the basketball court, so to speak. But if you want like a, like a dress shoe, it's very hard to find. And so I was making shoes made a lot of sense from that point of view. Yeah. But it was also very difficult initially to find a shoe last because shoes are made on a last in my size. But then I found a, a small company in Spain that was willing to make it and make just the one because unlike sewing and garment making, which is still very much established as, as a hobby, shoemaking really isn't. And so when you start looking at companies that sell the supplies and all of these things, they're often business to business as a, just some schmuck who walks in, you can't even buy there. So it was difficult to find a company that would have the last in my size and that would sell just the one item. But then once I found them, I started shoemaking and now it's something that I typically do in winter when the evenings are long and dark. Wow. The fact that you went down that path and you still do it is just really amazing. Yeah. You know, I, you can get a lot done if you just don't quit. That's, that's something that, that I keep on telling myself. Are there any clothes that you enjoy making more than others? Yeah, I definitely enjoy. It's mostly based on the fabric. Like I enjoy working with something that is robust and something like denim or like a nice wool or something, something that just lies there. It is what it is. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, you have like something that's super flimsy or something that is super stretchy or, you know, those knits that keep rolling up on the edge. And recently I, I sewed with velour and it's like... When you put them good sides together, it's almost like Velcro, you know, it's, it becomes yes. really hard. 
to move them because of all the tiny little sort of hairs, I guess, for lack of a better word. And I very much enjoy working with fabric that behaves like sheet metal, so to speak. That is just <laughs> what it is. And you can trust it to be that way. Bonus points for being able to unpick your work and it doesn't show or it doesn't show too much, you know, for which like I always come back to denim because um, I think it's, it's one of the most wonderful materials to work with, especially if it's quote unquote real denim and not all the stretchy stuff that you now find in, in the shops. Yeah, because it holds its shape really well. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it's like you can wear them for a while and then they will give a little bit and start getting a little baggy and then you throw them in the wash and it's like they're new again. Like it's, it's, it's wonderful. So I guess I, I really like working with denim. Leather is nice too, but it's of course a very different material to work with and much more unforgiven. There's no such thing as unpicking a seam and not seeing it. Yeah, you'll always see the hole if you try and unpick with leather. So you've got to be really accurate. Yeah, yeah, you got to get it right. How did freesewing.org start? It's the reincarnation of what used to be makemypattern.com, which was maybe the larva, and now maybe we're in the butterfly stage. It all goes back to when I started sewing, and I quickly realized that I had the same problem with sewing patterns as I do with clothes in the shop, which is that they don't fit because I'm, I'm like tall and lanky. I realized or I read online that if you draft your own patterns based on your measurements, then you would have the perfect fit, which, you know, was once again a very naive uh, way of looking at things. Yeah, it sounded like the solution, right? So I bought me one of those books. It was an Eldritch book, Metric Pattern Cutting from Answer or something like that. I drafted a, a pattern from that and, and already like from the very first start, because like I'm not good with drawing and these sort of things. So, you know, paper and the pencils and I, I would make a mess. And I very quickly was like, well, this is all just mathematics and I could easily program this because, you know, I work in IT. So it's sort of like, it feels more natural to me almost to do that than to crack out the drawing paper. And I also have a long commute to work uh, on the train. And so I could much more easily work on my laptop on the train than bring all the paper with me. So I started programming this sort of patterns just for myself. And then I was like, well, maybe other people would also want to use this or could use this. So I started sharing the work and that went through a couple of reincarnations of which free sewing is the latest and probably most grown up one. Let's put it that way. So it took a, took a few hits and misses, but now I think we're onto a good thing. The reason I bring it up is because I interviewed Walter V-Dub. Yeah. And he's contributed to some of the patterns. So I thought I have to get Just on the podcast. Yeah, he's actually the, I think he's the, the most senior of all contributors. Like he's been around from the larvae stage, so to speak. I have a lot of appreciation for everything about has done. And, and I mean, he's a friend to me now. So that's, I mean, it's great. Yeah, much love for Wouter. Let's put it that way. How can people contribute to freesewing.org? There's a, there's a number of ways that you can contribute and we actually have a long list of things on the website if people are or like unsure like what could i possibly do because there's a lot of things that might come naturally to people because we are at the end of the day a software project and so it's perhaps a little bit scary or intimidating looking out from you know <laughs> what, what's going on there but there's also a lot of things about 
translation or pattern testing, one of the things that comes to mind now, but once again, I would refer to the list on the website, is, is what we call a body ambassador because people design patterns and most people who design a pattern design for what their own bodies look and feel like. And then because we do parametric design and you try to adapt the pattern that it also works for others. But of course, the further you divert from the body that you own and that you're used to, the less expertise you have. Right. And so I, I always thought it would be good to have people who are like, oh, well, I am particularly skinny or I am, you know, more curvy. So why don't I have a critical look at the patterns that come out and say, well, for people like me, this would be a good improvement or that would be better because it is a little bit naive to think that you can just design a pattern and just sort of proportionately scale it up and down to fit different people because at a certain moment as a designer you start making different choices to make the fit more flattering based on on different body types right for example if the upper body gets larger you might want to draft more an off shoulder sleeve rather than try to bring the shoulder seam all the way back from a wider torso all the way back to narrower shoulders might be more flattering to just sort of let it hang off the shoulder a little bit and these sort of things are things where people who have that kind of a body just sort of know right from experience but they're not that obvious to people who are just trying to do their best to make a pattern that works for many different people that's an area where you don't actually need to have any technical know-how what you bring to the table is knowing what it's like to have a certain body type and to know what works what doesn't work what is flattering what isn't flattering and, and what are some of the annoyances that you find every time you buy something in the shop mm. and so that's all very valuable input for us so there's, if you want to contribute, there's some something for everybody. And we'll have the link to the things that people can do to contribute on the podcast blog post so people can find it and start getting involved if they feel so, that they want to do that. That sounds wonderful. So when it comes to sewing for yourself, do you find that it's difficult to find fabric? Is that a challenge? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's only getting worse. I live in Antwerp. And we have a fashion academy here that is, I'm going to say, a little bit famous. So you would think that we have a, like a garment district or something like that, but we don't. There are fabric stores, of course, but they are all geared towards the type of customer who is looking for, you know, something for the kid's Halloween costume or maybe like a quick dress for the six-year-old who's going to grow out of it in six months. So it's, it's all sort of bottom of the barrel fabrics you know like price is sort of the main reason and it's like funky cotton prints with you know clowns and balloons or you know cats or well actually cats i might still like um <laughs> but it's hard to find the kind of fabric where like okay but i'm going to make a garment and i plan to have many many years of use out of this garment so i want it to be fabric that is quality it's not that it has to be expensive but it needs to be quality maybe like a nice natural fiber rather than some polyester. And it's really hard to find that in Antwerp. Uh, so I, I do most of my fabric shopping when I'm on the road, either when I'm traveling, because Italy is not that far from where we live, so it's sort of like a popular destination. But also just any city that I would visit, I would check out the fabric stores and see what I can find. Because it's one of the things where I just find that buying online, I just don't know... I need to be able to touch it. Let's, exactly. <laughs> let's see how it drapes, see how the light sort of reflects of it, the weight of it, the feel. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like buying fabric online, unless it's something where you, you actually know what it is. 
I hardly ever buy fabric online. Plus the fact that we live in a very small country and shipping, like it's almost always international and then it tends to be very expensive to ship. So what I do now is when I'm in a good fabric store, I buy way too much and then put it in my stash, which is, you know, embarrassing. Like most, most people who sew, I think, have a guilty pleasure of being a fabric stash that realistically they mightn't see the end of it before, you know, they go to the great uh, sewing machine in the sky, so to speak. That's right. Now that we've talked about freesewing.org and how you buy fabric when you have the opportunity to actually touch and feel it, are there any patterns that you favor the most? I have to admit that I only use my own patterns from freesewing.org. I think the last time I made another pattern was maybe 10 years ago when I made a bag for somebody as a gift. And back then there was no freesewing.org. I guess it's sort of like the same thing as with the making your own clothes. I feel like you need to eat your own dog food, so to speak. And so what it does, it forces me that if there's something lacking, it forces me to design a pattern. You know, if I want this garment and it doesn't exist, then nothing is easier than going out and buying it. What's harder is then to say, no, that means that I have to make a pattern for it. So I sort of set these limitations on myself as a way to sort of gamify myself into doing more work or designing more patterns. So yeah, what are my favorite patterns then really boils down to what are my favorite patterns on freesewing.org. That changes because I'm one of those people who likes the new thing a lot. So recently I've been making a lot of Charlie Chinos. Very happy with that. Although the pattern that I get the most use of is the Bruce boxers because I wear those every day. That's probably the only pattern that in the last 10 years I've worn every day. We have a Jaeger jacket pattern, but like it's such a lot of work to make a jacket, like, you know, a sports coat. When I started sewing and I sort of had this in my mind, like, okay, so in no time, I'm going to be this guy, like when he walks into the room, everybody's going to be like, oh my God, look at that guy and his clothes is so amazing. And that never really happened <laughs> because, you know, I'm, I'm busy. And when you make all of your clothes, it also just becomes like, okay, but I just need something to wear. Like not everything you make is going to be like a showpiece, you know? Yes. Yeah. I guess at some level, I, I sort of still want to be that stylish person and I... I see that jacket pattern, which I designed myself, but I'm, I have a half-finished project lying here that I, <laughs> that I just never get around to making. So those are the patterns that I sort of love, but don't find the time to make as often as I would like to. I mean, I know people who have like a French Chanel style jacket that they've been working on for years, but again, it's one of those show pieces that you're not going to rush yeah, yeah, because of the work that's involved. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Most of my sewing is just like functional, like I need something to wear. And just so that listeners who haven't gone to freesewing.org, it has got patterns for all sexes, doesn't it? Yeah, we have a bit of a, a history slash reputation for being menswear centered, but that is just side effect of the fact that I started the site and I made the first patterns and I well, I made patterns for me because I needed them, because I needed clothes to wear. And I also believe that, and this might apply less to, you know, let's say the people who work in the industry as a professional pattern maker. But I think that most of the people in the sewing community who sort of make patterns tend to make patterns for their own bodies. And so me as a man, it's just a lot more intuitive to make a menswear pattern. I sort of dabbled into trying to 
to branch out into women's wear more, but I, I find it difficult. For starters, I just think it's harder to design for women because there's they have all these great and wonderful curves that are hard to fit. Like there's a lot of things that you just take for granted because you've been yeah. having this body all these years. And then you just realize, I don't really know what it feels like to have these boobs here and how they sort of behave and how I would want them to like, I just don't know, like, you know, and I think that's a handicap when you design. So by virtue of that, there are probably more menswear patterns on the site, but we make a conscious effort to try to balance that out. And we have more and more and more women's wear pattern. Plus mm -hmm. there's also this sort of, I don't want to say it's a new trend, but it's just something that when I started out, wasn't really thinking about mm -hmm. is that we try to make as many patterns as possible, just sort of work for everybody. So like more recent menswear patterns, what we do, for example, is that you can say, okay, draft this to my high bust measurements rather than my full bust or, or sort of chest circumference, which yeah. would be the measurement that you use on a man. And if you would draft it to that for a woman or a person with rest, however they identify, because that is yeah. now also quite a complex topic but i mean or i in this case we really just care about are their breasts to fit yes or no yeah so if you would draft then the shoulders would be too big like you know it would it's more flattering to draft to the high bust so we try to make patterns that sort of work of course a pattern style is you know if you have like a classic button down it's it's sort of like masculine presenting but that doesn't mean that it can't be fitted to woman or a person with breast, you know, just by throwing a dart in, which, which we have and we provide. But that doesn't turn it into a blouse. It's still like a button-down shirt, which still has a certain look that is, I think, perceived more as, as sort of masculine presenting. So it's something where there's the technical challenges, and then there's also all of this sort of like, how, how do we name this? How do we talk about these things? And that's, that's sometimes more tricky than, than the technical challenges. I mean, and I wanted to make sure that listeners know that freesewing.org has got a, you know, a really good library of men's patterns, but it's also got patterns there for anybody. Yeah, that's true. I think that the sort of big breakthrough point is when you land on a block where you're really happy and then you can spin that into, into designs because we sort of have this system where we, we extend sort of like a base pattern, just like a, a normal pattern maker would do. And we have a few blocks for women's wear, but I, I don't feel that we're at that point yet where we're 100% happy. And so I am reluctant to put out a bunch of designs until we get that right. Because then if we change something to the foundation, then everything built on that will need work. And so we want to sort of get, but building like a, a women's wear block that works for everybody is surprisingly challenging. Yeah, it really is. It's something that I... It's another one of those things where I started very naive and, and now I'm like, hmm. You're picking up all of this knowledge. Well, I mean, I'm sure that people are going to be like, well, it's just dumb to think that it was going to be easy, you know, like, but then at the other hand, I'm like, yeah, but probably if I knew about all the challenges, I, I never would have started and we wouldn't be here today. So sometimes it's good to just sort of somewhat naively try to build something and then along the way realize that, huh, it's not so easy. You've gone down the path of starting something and you've continued to refine it along the way and you've got people there who are also helping you and you haven't given up. So I think that's a really good thing for the sewing community. It's true that we're constantly improving things and I think that's also something that when people come to the site and they sort of expect the traditional 
pattern company, for lack of a better word, because we're, we're not a company, is that you have the pattern and that's it. Whereas we are more like, well, here's the pattern. And then, you know, now it's six months later and we've made five changes to it to improve it or because somebody pointed or somebody had a problem. So yeah. it's much more like, once again, like a software project where there's version one and then version 1.1 and then version 1.1.2 and version yes. 1.2. And, and so every time we prove it or we tweak it or we add options. And, and so if you're unhappy, let us know, because that's really the only way that we can, that we can make things better because we certainly don't have time to make every pattern for every body type under the sun. Like that's just not realistic, but if people are unhappy and they let us know within reason, I think that we will always try to, to do something about that. You've got a good track record where you have been making improvements to all of your patterns. So that's a good message to make sure listeners understand. Hmm. So there's a lot of people who have gone down the path of making masks for the first time and they're probably looking to make clothes for themselves. What sewing techniques do you think they should invest in? I mean, it's a, it's a good question, but I do sort of feel like there's a different approach between men and women. Yeah. Because women's wear is much more diverse than men's wear. And so if you are a, a woman or, or a young woman or a, a girl even who wants to start sewing, you're probably going to want to make a bunch of different stuff. And so I think from that perspective, it makes sense to say like, okay, what techniques am I going to practice? If you're a man, on the other hand, the, the sort of traditional menswear catalog is quite limited, right? You got mm -hmm. like trousers and, and underwear and t-shirts and shirts and jacket and, and that's it basically. I mean, so to speak. And so I think that for listeners who are men or, or young men or boys who want to try into sewing, I would be like, what is the thing that I really either like or would really be proud of if I knew how to make and then just make that and then make it again and again and again until you make the greatest shirts or trousers or whatever and in doing so you will learn all of those techniques but I do really feel like repetition there is the way to go to perfect your sort of craft but I also understand that that is not an appealing outlook to women who want to start sewing because I don't think that they'd be happy to have six trousers in the same cut but different fabric they'd be like a bit like yeah no this is I want like a wardrobe but still I think that in a way you can apply the sort of same logic of like what are the things that you like to wear what are the fabrics or the and then sort of see like okay what are the techniques that I that I need and then and then focus on those I always feel that it works best if you if you get to play to your strengths, if you get to do the things that you enjoy to do, because the only thing that, that you really need to do is not quit and not give up. And that is just easier if you're doing something that you like to do, or at the very least that the goal that you're striving towards is one that gives you joy and that makes you happy and, and possibly even proud. I would not draft a list of like, these are the techniques that you need to learn. And that's the same for everybody. I would look to yourself, what is something that you would like to accomplish and then just work toward that goal and not give up and it will be fine. If I can do it, so can you. That's a guarantee. That's good advice for people who are starting on their sewing journey and the fact that you've got freesewing.org with so many different patterns for people to access is a good place that people can go to and find something that works for them, that makes them happy. I hope so. <laughs> it's it's what we it's what we try to do. Yeah. 
I sort of see two groups of users or visitors or customers, whatever you want to call it. I think if if you are new to sewing and you make a made-to-measure pattern, which is what free sewing provides, I think that you're going to be like, oh wow, this is this is way better than out of the envelope. And I think on the other side of the spectrum, if you are a very experienced sewist, I think that you've come to realize that no system in the world is going to give you the perfect pattern out of the box and and you're going to have to make a muslin and make a little tweak left and right because your standards are now to a level where I'm sorry, but that's just not realistic. I mean, unless you get super lucky. So I think that in that sense, we provide value to the beginner store by giving them something that is probably much better than they could get out of an envelope and to the very experienced store by giving like, okay, this is a very good starting point for you to really make it your own because we don't have to be naive that we try our very best, but we cannot provide the perfect pattern for everybody out there. And if you come to the site with that expectation, then, well, yeah, if you're that experienced sore, then you're going to be disappointed. But once again, I think that by now you've, you know that that is not realistic. You know, if you go to a tailor and have a suit made, they're gonna, you're going to have to go to a fitting and they're going to be tweaks too. So, I mean, that, for me, it's, it's very much the same. That's just what it takes to get to that level of fit and finish that, you know, the more experienced people in the, in the community strive for. Exactly. We have a Discord server, which you can get to via discord.freesewing.org. And like people can just pop in there and say, hi, I know it's maybe very different from Instagram, but it's basically just like an online chat thing. Yeah. There's always people there online and not just like people come with other sewing questions or even patterns from not from us. So it's really a community. And I think it's also quite a valuable thing. And it sounds like a very supportive, but also a safe community as well. Yeah. It's like the family you choose rather than the family that you get handed. Any long-term goals with freesewing.org before we finish up? I recently published this sort of roadmap for version three. So free sewing is now on version 2.17.4. And this is perhaps not so obvious to people outside the software world, but so when you have a version number like 2.17.4, 2 is the major version, 17 the minor, and then 4 is the so-called patch level. And so the rule is that if you make breaking changes, people using the software, you bump the major number. You go from 2 to 3, for example. And so whenever you are working on the project and somebody has an idea or something, and we're like, okay, we cannot implement this without breaking a bunch of stuff, then you sort of put that on the back burner for the next major release. So now we sort of said like, okay, it's probably time to look into a new major release. And so this opens Pandora's box because now anything goes. And so we have a bunch of IDs put on the roadmap, like, oh, it would be nice to have this. It would be nice to do that. It would make more sense to real have another look at how we do this and make it more intuitive. And, and one of the main goals is to make it more easy for people to sort of get started with designing their own patterns. So if there's something that you've always wanted in free sewing, then now is really the time because now, as I said, we're sort of really in this sort of brainstorm phase of like, okay, imagine that, you know, we had all, all the time in the world, what would you like to see? And now, of course, we're going to have to make choices and there might be things there. Yeah, that would be great, but we just, we can't do that or we don't have the skill because we are not, uh, I mean, there's limits to what we can do, but now is really the time to sort of weigh in and let us know what you would like to see. And we have a, we also have a newsletter and the next edition will also have a survey for people to ask like, okay, are there things that you are unhappy with on the side? Because we really want to collect that user info because 
you know, when you make something and then you sort of stop seeing its flaws or things that are confusing to other people, you just sort of know because, well, it's not always easy to see the obvious shortcomings of your own baby. So we really rely on the community to tell us what you would like to see, and then we will try to make that happen. Just thank you for coming on to So Organized Style Podcast to talk about yourself, your sewing journey, and freesewing.org because it's a really good resource database of sewing patterns that anybody can access and contribute to. And you've put so much work into freesewing.org, so thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's been a real pleasure, and thanks for thinking of me as, uh, as a guest. It's nice. It's an honor for me to have you on the podcast for all the work that you've done for the sign community over so many years that I've known you. So thank you. Now you're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> That's what friends are for. No, thank you. I mean, it means, it means a lot to me. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And have a lovely day, listeners. This episode of So Organized Style Podcast for Sober 50 was produced by me, Maria Theoharis, with permission of Just Sound by Bensound.com. You can subscribe to So Organized Style Podcast, but with an S, not a Z, on all good podcast apps. Please give us a five-star rating and review whenever you listen to us. If this is your first podcast that you've listened to, make sure you go back and listen to the So Over 50 podcast archive and catch up on this series about the men who sew. Post any questions or suggestions you have on our Instagram account at So Organized Style or on our website at www.soorganisedstyle.com or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone.